to another episode of The Final Call here on Radio Massasoit. As always, Andrew Fantuccio alongside me, Ben Mamoritas, and the man with the easiest name in the Zoom, Jason Snow. Guys, how are we today? Doing great. Happy to be here. Let's get to it. Yeah, a lot of news to go down, but yeah, I'm pumped. You're right. A lot of news to go down with us to cover today. Let's start with college football. The Big Ten Conference, Pac-12 Conference are uh, deciding whether to today whether or not to uh, have a season. To post, whether or not to postpone their season, to cancel it all together. Uh, things are really up in the air right now for uh, college football this season. So let me ask you guys, do you think that there should be college football this year uh, with coronavirus still uh, raging through the country? Do I think there should be a season? Yes. Do I think there will be a season? No. The Big Ten is debating whether or not they're going to have a season. And they're not the only conference to do so. With the NFL, there's a lot of money at stake. There's also a lot of money at stake with the NCAA, but again, it's amateur sports. And with colleges, we're going to see something, you know, there's not going to be a bubble. There's going to be traveling, you know, to and from states. And we talk about it a lot on the show. The coronavirus is not going away anytime soon, despite our best wishes. There's no vaccines. There's treatment, but there's no vaccines. The only way to really slow this thing down is social distancing and, you know, practicing safe health precautions. And with people in sports, I mean, we're seeing, you know, there's cases in the MLB skyrocketing. Um, You know, the NFL season is kind of will they, won't they. And college football is no different. College football is, you know, one of the most watched television events in the country. And would I like to see a season? Absolutely. I would love to see Trevor Lawrence play his, his potential last year at Clemson. I would love to see all these other players go out there. And I want to see, you know, I want to see a good uh, college football season and crown a ch- national champion. That's just like the sports fan in me. But as a real like human being and just looking at the, the world today, it's going to be really tough to put one together in this social climate that we're in right now. Yeah, I would like to see one too. But the thing is, financially, I don't know if they'll be able to make it work because I think what region by region we'll see one, but we'll see seasons. like I think the SEC will try to power their way through this. But collectively, I don't think we'll see a Power 5 you know, season take, uh, take place, um, mainly because there's no president of college football. There's no commissioner of college football. There's no individual person to really put their foot down and say this is what i want this is what we want there's it's a region by region conference by conference thing so i I think there are there's logistically a lot of questions to that go into it like scholarships what what happens with with that what happens with money I, i think schools as a whole have bigger problems on their plate than their football programs and i'm just going to put that out there frankly um i i I think a lot of these schools by and large outside of the Alabamas and like the true football powers want to get back to school first and foremost. So they, they have bigger problems on their hands and collectively power five football. I don't know if it'll make a, a full surge in 2020. So yeah, all those points you guys just brought up, I think are excellent points because I don't think there should be college football this year. And yeah, I want to see it. I want sports back. I want everything to get back to normal. But because there's so many kind of unknown variables, and especially when it comes to college sports, when there isn't a central leader, 
And we've already seen what happens when a sports league has a bad leader or a pass point. We've seen it with Major League Baseball. The Cardinals still haven't played a game since July 29th. And more of their games just got canceled. And those are professional players. And I'm not, that's not, I don't want to say like professional as in like, you know, paid or not paid. I'm just saying older veteran players who should be more responsible than college students is what I'm saying. But if professional players can't handle this, I don't expect college players to be able to handle this, especially on a college campus with all the distractions there. Uh, you're living in dorms as it is already where you're, there's no way they'll be able to social distance. You, you got to go to class. There's parties, and yeah, we know no partying, but let's face it, they're college students. We're college students. We're going to want to go party too. So, of course, they're going to go, go party. I don't trust that the players will be able to handle this, but this comes down more on the top the, from the top here because there's no leadership. It's being left up to the conferences and the and, you know, uh, athletic directors and school presidents, and there's no one unifying decision here. There, that's what the NCAA needs right now. So I want to make a decision because right now it's all just sort of up in the air. There's no clarity. The big 10 is you know, operating differently than the PAC 12 and they're operating differently from the SEC and they're operating differently from the ACC. And without any sort of contingency or any sort of real unifying presence is, it's kind of chaos. It's absolute chaos. So, and then it's just, you need some real leadership here, and the NCAA doesn't have that right now. Yeah, they they really don't. And I, a lot of these schools rely on in-person attendance to really make their money, to re- to really scratch the surface on what they can do financially. So, even if you were to do like neutral site games, mostly, I just don't see it happening because still wouldn't work. It still wouldn't work. It would then. Because then they have to, those students who go to those those uh, neutral site games, right? Mm-hmm. The players, okay. right? Then you know if you know, heaven forbid, a Purdue can, a player a player in Purdue is asymptomatic, right? And then yep. they go play Ohio State, and a player from Ohio State contracts it and then goes to a party, and there's a huge outbreak among Ohio State students, and then it, it's it, it's a it's a it's just snowball. So mm-hmm. you're you're so right, Jason. Yeah, and I don't. We'll probably touch on this later, um, but I know a lot of the players have, you know, spoken out and said a hashtag we want to play. So, how much does that really mean in the grand scheme of things? How much does that get the Avalanche going in terms of, you know, making progress in terms of wanting to play? Um, I don't think a lot because there's there's no players' union, there's no defined group that really gets together and not battles, but negotiates with these conferences, with these schools, with the these athletic directors, they just kind of put it out there themselves and said, we've worked too hard. And didn't all these seniors and like March Madness, and we've seen their seasons like fall down. Didn't they say the same thing? You know, we've, we've worked too hard for this and it never, you know, came to fruition at all. So I, I, I want to see college football, but realistically, I just don't, there's just too many hoops to jump through. Yeah. So Jason, you just brought up a point there about the players and they say they want to play hashtag that we want to play has been spreading across Twitter and social media players like Trevor Lawrence has uh, spoken out uh, major coaches, uh, Shaw, uh, Ryan day, James Franklin, uh, even Jim Harbaugh has said, has spoken out a little bit of uh, big schools, big coaches, big players have said that they want to play. What do you think about that? And what do you, th- and what do you guys think about how players are feeling about how coaches are reacting how will that affect how these negotiations go and where will it lead to in the future? I think whenever there's um call for changes for anything, you want 
powerful people in their positions to voice their opinions, right? I mean, we always say this. We always say that, you know, like guys in the NBA voicing their opinions on social justice reform and all this, you know, it's good to have people in high places discuss the topics that we're all talking about, you know, like let's hear what they have to say about it. And all those names you just mentioned, Andrew, are all big names in the college football world. And if all of them are saying the same thing and as well as, you know, some of the best players, best young players in college football that we have today, the overwhelming majority is we want to play. And they're like the NFL, there's going to be some players that opt out due to, you know, personal reasons. But I think by and large, everyone wants to play. And I think, you know, one of the main problems is you guys kind of touched on this is the compartmentalization of everything. There is no leader. There is no unifying voice. Like you said, Andrew, there is, it's uh, everyone's trying to do their own thing. But if everyone, like if Jim Harbaugh and Ryan Day and everyone are all saying the same thing, we want to play, we want to play, I think that a deal will get done. But there can't be any of this compartmentalization because no one's going to agree on anything if that's the case. I, I see that. And when we're talking about major figures within the sport, mainly coaches, because a lot of these players, most of them go to the NFL after two, three years. Mm-hmm. So when we're talking about coaches and I've heard a lot of people say, you know, start up the season, these players virtually no risk, you know, they, they have like more of a chance to get hurt from a car crash or, you know, the mental health ramifications than at COVID itself. So start the season. Um, I, I don't see that because, you know, Nick Saban's in his sixties, you know, we have to protect these coaches on the sidelines. I think they're, they need to protect them. And, I think professional sports, like you said, Andrew, they've had more of a financial backing in a place where they can contain COVID as best they can, NBA bubble, things like that. So they, I know baseball is doing it without a bubble, but they, they are financially backed in a way. They, they, they're more capable of doing it. I just don't trust that you know college football is going to be able to protect their coaches, especially guys like Nick Saban, who's in their late 60s. They have to protect these guys at all costs. Is that worth one season? Is is losing the access of seasons down the road worth risking starting the season for one year of Trevor Lawrence? I simply don't think it is. No, I don't think it is either, Jason. We got to think long-term here with this whole situation. We can't have, uh, you know, draw from the hip split second decisions here. This needs to be a long uh, thought out process. And I think that's sort of what we're getting here with the NCAA. It's not that it's not at a long drawn out process. They've had what, uh, seven months. Like when was the national championship game? Right, like Jan- January, right? Yeah. Uh, virus breaks out in March. They've had five months to sort of plan for this and sort of get into it. And we're only just now having these conversations. No leadership. No one really wanted. You know, they're all just kind of hoping it'll go away. Uh, well, you know, if it's still a problem, we'll handle that. No, you can't handle that. They've had five months to figure this out. Yep. And it's, it's sort of like what Major League Baseball was doing. It's like what I, how I feel about the NFL. And I feel like they're just kind of going as, as new stuff comes up and they're trying to patch, a, patch holes in an already sinking ship. Once, once the ship starts to, starts to sink, you just let it sink and try again next time and build a new ship almost. Um, as for the players, you know, I, I feel for them and I, I admire their, you know, their want to play, their willingness to play, especially in, the, in these times because I think – you know, college players really, I, I've been the, some of the most outspoken uh, out of all the players in terms of their enthusiasm of wanting to play, I feel. Mm-hmm. But I just, 
what's it really worth? And I know a lot of these players are only at these schools for their athletic ability to play sports. And they're not really there for the academics and all. I, I get that. But right now, with everything that's happening, schools and universities should only be opening up to the bare essentials. You know, in-person classes should only be happening for, you know, stuff like labs and, you know, courses that require in-person activity. Otherwise, have it at home. Have it, you know, limited contact. Don't even have people on campus if you don't have to. What's it worth? It's worth that a shot of the NFL. And we've seen a guy like Joe Burrow go from a mid-round pick, you know, fringe fifth-round pick projection, slide all the way up to number one because of a great season. Guys are losing the opportunity to show what they can do. Guys are losing out on that opportunity of potentially, you know, increasing their net worth, at least right now, by the millions. So I, I, I think it's of a bigger concern in that perspective in terms of what they can do in the future. But as these, like, freshmen, sophomores, redshirt kind of guys roll in, I don't know if it's worth that much, but the guy on the cusp of going to the NFL, I think it's worth a great deal. Yeah, I agree 100%. That's an excellent point, Jason. And I think, you know, to your point, Andrew, about the NCAA has had months to plan this. They're kind of in the same boat as the NFL, like, oh, it's not our turn yet. You know what I mean? And I think that's where a lot of the problems lie. And the lack of leadership is evident. And I just think that everyone needs to be on the same page with this. But Jason, excellent point, because there are plenty of players right now that, you know, aren't exactly top 10 picks right now, but they could have an amazing year. Some players could be missing their shot, not only at the NFL, but they could be missing their shot at a Heisman or national championship or any of these things. I mean, it's, it's, you know, a lot for a lot of these players, it's a big blow and I don't blame them at all for that. And that's the major dilemma from my perspective. I've been kind of, you know, throughout this whole episode, I've been kind of like eh, against the season getting going, but to these players, at least from their perspective, it's, a, it means a great deal to get on the field. It's a big game. deal. Yeah. Oh, it absolutely is. It's, it's a huge deal. And, and for some, and even for the players that aren't going the NFL, you know, like I think about the seniors who this was, yes. this would have been their final season playing organized sports before they go and enter the workforce. So I feel for them, but you bring, you bring up the NFL draft, Jason, and you know, a guy like Trevor Lawrence, isn't going to be affected. He was hands down the number one pick this year. Uh, you know, a Joe Burrow, not detracting from him, but he was a lightning in the bottle type of, type of player like before Joe Burrow happened everyone thought Tua was gonna be the first pick right now Trevor Lawrence is what Tua was you know it was like Trevor Lawrence was hand down the number one pick in the 2021 draft this year correct so that doesn't affect someone like that him but it really affects those like like the mid-round guys it affects the guys who might have gone later in the first round the undrafted guys who you know probably wouldn't have gotten drafted but could have signed on as an undrafted free agent it affects them how do you really so now with the season kind of up in the air if it gets canceled even if it just gets pushed back to the spring how does that affect the nfl draft how does that affect how uh coaches and scouts in the nfl go about their draft strategy i think i think ratings wise we'd all crave it by that point <laughs> so i think the ratings would go through the roof that's kind of a pro for it but ultimately i feel like it'd be kind of smushed i think you know starting the season what, what would it roughly start around february late february and then the nfl draft i don't know if the nfl would be willing to budge on that uh, on the April date, late April draft day. I, I, I just think it's, it's rushed. And then to go back, ideally back to a fall uh, season, you know, six, uh, not even six months, four months after, 
seems a little smushed, seems a little urgent, seems like a panic. It kind of seems like des desperation. I, I don't like the idea of it, but ratings would be through the roof for those TV networks, no doubt. I hear what you're saying. Um, I think I'd have to disagree with you, though, just because it would be something that we haven't seen before. Yes, it would feel kind of rushed. Yes, it would be kind of smushed. But it's, it's such a unique situation. It's definitely going to affect the draft. It's, it's, let's, just not, let's just not mistake this. I mean, like I said at the beginning, this virus isn't going anywhere. The draft is going to be affected whether there's a college football season or not. So with all that being said, Yes, ratings are going to go up. I don't know. Trevor Lawrence is still going to be the number one pick. But I don't know. Like these other guys, like you said, Andrew, the undrafted free agents and the mid-round guys, we're going to see a lot of talent come from, you know, places we're not looking at. We're going to see these players come in. They get picked up by a team. They're either really good or really bad. We have no real template because there hasn't been football. So either way you look at this, it's kind of a messy situation, but ratings are going to be awesome because everyone wants to see this. Everyone wants to see something different. Everyone wants to see, you know, how the NFL and college football kind of adapt to the situation. I, I don't know if that's really going to boost ratings. It's not going to be that much of a different product. I, I would understand, like, if the season gets delayed and till the spring, they'll get more ratings because of – you know, just the delay and, and the and the want and the need and the anticipation of college football, but I don't think how it coincides with the draft or anything is going to increase the ratings. But how it affects the draft, I think coaches and scouts in the NFL and general managers are going to have to be really creative with how they scout their players if the season gets canceled. And I think you'll start to see a lot more players do those sort of workout videos, and you'll put, see those being put out. You know over the course of the se over the offseason or the next couple of months if the season gets canceled, just to show that they have some sort of stock. And, and you'll see players get really sort of marketing savvy here with themselves, try to figure out the best way to improve their stock. And maybe not even just be with the talent on the field. It might be, you know, you go out and you show your athleticism and maybe something like, you know, if there's, if there's baseball season, you know, you try to join the baseball team to show your athleticism or you just you film yourself playing a pickup basketball with your friends, a way to show up your athleticism. Maybe just something in the community, the community service. Like we know how important having being a, a good character is for NFL teams and drafting good guys, you know, guys with, you know, stable backgrounds and have shown that they have good character. So if you go and you, you know, you spend your time serving, working in a homeless shelter, or working in a soup kitchen, or playing with uh, you, you know, small kids, you'll see your people improve their draft stock that way. I think that might be even more of a premium this year because there's just so many unknowns. So whatever you can use to sort of improve your draft stock, I see players being way more savvy with that. Yeah. And like you said, um, Ben, it'll give us something that we haven't seen before. Um, will like, I don't know how much those videos will in, in improve their draft stock ne necessarily. It might, you know, give GMs an idea of, Oh, he's not doing nothing, but it, will it be like, Oh, he's, he put out this video of his highlights on the field. He'll go up a, like a round. I, I, I doubt it because people need to see like they don't need to see highlights. They need to see the the entire uh, resume, the entire thing. So I, I just don't know, but it'll be interesting inter interesting to see for sure. Do you think they'll have the combine? Combine, yes, because the NFL is going to want to put it in. The, the NFL has the money and the power to do it. Absolutely. Plus, it's a TV, it's a TV show too. You know, we're all interested to see it. So I think they can make uh, big money off it. So yeah. Also, the combine is something that's not 
you can do the combine by following social distance guidelines and everything. So I think that could happen. Good point. All right, with all that being said, coming up next year on the final call, we're going to get into the eighth and final seat in the Western Conference of the NBA. Looks like it's coming down to those uh, to two teams, the Portland Trailblazers and the Memphis Grizzlies. We'll give you our takes next on who we think will be the eighth and final seed in the West coming up next year on the final call. So I misspoke to end the last segment. It's not only two teams that are in it for the AC in the West. There's about four of them. Memphis Grizzlies, Portland Trailblazers, the Phoenix Suns, and still surprisingly hanging on to me, the uh, San Antonio Spurs. All are in it, all within about a game and a half of each other, uh, with two games left to go in the season. So with that being said, guys, who will be the eighth and final seed in Western Conference? I got to go with Portland. The Portland Trailblazers are the team to me in the bubble that I'm most scared of. And, I mean, obviously, Damian Lillard has been arguably the best player in the bubble so far. I mean, next to, you know, Devin Booker and TJ Warren out of nowhere. But um, they have an insane backcourt of Lillard and McCollum. They got seven-footers. They got Nurkic. Uh, Gary Trent Jr. also has recently just been a marksman from deep. So I like I like where they're at right now. And first round, that would put them right up against Jason's Lakers with LeBron James. And Jason's Lakers. That boy. would be... I'm a Celtics fan. <laughs> Could have fooled me there. That would be quite the series. Now, I still would take the Lakers to win that series, but I do think that Portland would give them out of the teams That's that... A shock. <laughs> out of the teams that were just mentioned, I think the Blazers have the best chance of upsetting the Lakers, but I would be definitely scared. Um, I mean, every game Lillard's played so far, he's been outstanding. He did have that one game against the Clippers where he missed the two free throws, but then he responded to that with the next game dropping over 50 points. So it's... I mean, the guy's incredible. Uh, Carmelo Anthony also kind of having a finding his his second wind uh, in Portland when his last two teams didn't really work out. So I like I like Portland right now. I like where they're at. I like Portland too, and at the end of the day, I do agree with you. Uh, mainly because I think you know Yusuf Nurkic is the X factor to me. I watched him play against the Celtics. He absolutely bullied Daniel Tice. Daniel Tice had no reason to be in the paint with him. Nurkic is seven foot two ninety five. Tice is two forty five max. So I it, it's a, it was a beatdown. Um, so I would ultimately pick Portland uh, if I were to wager my money on it. But I'm going to give a special shout out to the Suns, man. The Suns six and zero. I I like I, it. No national TV games heading into the bubble. I didn't plan on watching a single second of any of their games, but they came out with a couple uh couple wins there, and now they're in the playoff race and. I'm not going to sleep on DeAndre Ayton like the rest of the uh, like the rest of the world. He's been, you know, a delight in the bubble. Missed his last Corona test, so you know, can you get your ducks in a row there, Phoenix, please? Can, like, can you get your <laughs> team all together? Um, so yeah, I, I would pick Portland, but I think Phoenix is going to give them a run for their money. Yeah, I think if you're betting safe, you got to pick Portland. Uh, they they've kind of come out of nowhere here after a kind of horrendous start to the season. And given that Devin, not Devin Booker, Damian Lillard 
uh, before even entering the bubble, said, like, I don't know if I really want to be there. Jason, you wrote about this on uh, New England Sports United. Uh, quick little plug yeah. there for you. Great publication. Yep. Oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> great, great uh, reading material. Over Journalism. Sports yep. And it's finest, yep. Oh, it's, it's splendid. But uh, he's, he, Lillard was saying, like, I don't know if I really want to be there. Eh, you know, is it really worth it with this format? Probably won't even make the playoffs anyways. And the Blazers have looked fantastic. Carmelo Anthony looks like he, you know, like 2007 Carmelo when he was still with the Nuggets. Uh, they've been playing fantastic. And just if you're going, look, looking at the schedules, these last two games for each of these teams, I don't think there's any way Memphis holds on. Their last two games against Boston and Milwaukee, two of the best teams in the NBA, and, and they don't have the experience or the, really the talent to compete with those two teams, as good as John Morant's been this season. But Memphis just doesn't have the firepower. Portland, obviously, you know, Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, Mello's back to his old self. Uh, Phoenix, yeah, Phoenix has looked really good. Devin Booker, their 6-0, has been the best player in the bubble, maybe outside of TJ Warren. Uh, you know, it really comes out of those two teams with me. Uh, the Spurs and Pop are kind of hanging on there, but just there's no real pop, on, no pun intended, but there's no pop on that team. <laughs> you know what I'm saying there's no like there's no one on that team that really like is Patty Mills really going to lead the uh the San Antonio Spurs to a playoff run I don't think so for me it's the Portland Trailblazers uh they look really good so far uh but do, how do they match up with the Lakers obviously the Lakers are number one seed in the west now do they match up better than some of these teams or do you know maybe do the Suns match up better does Memphis have a shot if they kind of somehow hang on what do you guys think well, we all have to acknowledge at this point, if an eight seed's going to bring it to a one seed, it's going to be this year because no home court advantage, no home court disadvantage. Um, so I, I think Portland's their biggest threat because, you know, the Lakers are known for being big and having Dwight Howard and, you know, JaVale McGee and Anthony Davis. The Blazers can not easily match up with that, but they can match up as well as anybody right now out of those four teams. So I, I, I would still take the Lakers in that series, but if you look at Dame, if Dame can catch fire and, you know, get Alex, like Alex Caruso would likely be the one guarding him. Are you like, what's the over under on his average? Yeah. <laughs> 35. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, if Dame really catches fire, like he has, Blazers are looking really good. And with Nurkic in particular, I think he can re- really make some big noise. Yeah. I'm with you there. They're definitely a team I would, I would game plan for if I was the Lakers. They ma- I think they match up really well. I mean, they have Nurkic, they have Myers Leonard, um, tall, long guys who can de- not only defend the paint, but can defend the perimeter. And like you said, Jason, who's going to guard Damian Lillard? I mean, yeah, Caruso could guard him. LeBron could switch on to small guys. But like Damian Lillard, when, he- when he's hot, he's scorching hot. And let's not forget about C.J. McCollum, too. He's kind of the Clay Thompson of Dame Lillard, Steph Curry. And, you know, they're one of the best backcourts in the league. Probably, you know, maybe the best backcourt in the bubble, maybe. But, you know, there's a debate there. But just as a whole team, I still would take the Lakers. I really would. I would take the Lakers. It'd be really tough for me. But I just think the Lakers have the pedigree with LeBron. They have you know, guys who are kind of veterans at this point. I mean, Damian Lillard's a veteran too, but how much playoff basketball does Damian Lillard see? He sees a lot, but it's like he never really can get past. There's, al- there's always someone in the way of him, 
You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, well, he had to compete with the Warriors for so long. Now LeBron's there. Right. He led a great series, you know, last year against the, against the Thunder. So I, I don't knock Damian Lillard for not having success in the playoffs because the West is one of those conferences where there's always sort of been like a real power there in front of him ever since he's kind of been in the league. There were the Spurs who had that, you know, that sort of late run of success before uh, Tim Duncan retired. Mm-hmm. And then we see, we see the Warriors. So there's always sort of been someone in the way of Damian Lillard. And the Blazers have really have the talent on their roster to compete. Now they kind of do. Yeah. And I think if there's any team that can knock off the Lakers right now, I think the Blazers kind of have a shot. Because remember when I said when Avery Bradley and Rajon Rondo went down or you know were opted out, Sure. I said that the team that the Lakers are going to have the most struggle playing against are teams with good backcourts and that can shoot threes. And that's what the Blazers are. Exactly. Right? So I don't know. Like can LeBron can't defend Carmelo – Dame and CJ McCollum all at the oh. same time. It's, he can he can defend them no problem, but he's only one person. Is what I'm saying, Jason. I know you were about to just crap your pants there. No, the, the, I made that facial expression because it delayed real quick, and it said you said he can't guard Carmelo, and then it, I just heard that, so I was like, <laughs> wait a second. Oh what? no no no, he okay. LeBron can definitely guard you. Carmelo. I'm not. I, I got gotcha. you. What I'm saying is, but he can't guard all three of them, and. I think the Blazers match up really well. Like Nurkic can can take on Anthony Davis if there's anyone in the league who can. That size can you know kind of bear down on Davis the whole series. And you know if this gets to a game seven, Davis might be kind of tired and exhausted from matching up with Nurkic this whole time and his frame and his size. So I think the Blazers have a really good shot. I mean, you know, as much as the Suns, you know, they still only really have Devin Booker. Mm-hmm. And he, you kind of need him to score 60 points a night if you want him to have, them to have a shot at beating the Lakers. So right now, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if it's the Blazers and the Lakers that this kind of this might go six, seven games. And go Washington National style on us? Oh. You know, that would be out the there. season, a couple of injuries, especially in Portland's case. Do they, you know, go in and shock, shock some people? Go, go National style on us? Not win the whole no. thing, probably. I wouldn't pick them to do that, but... I mean... That's an excellent point, though, Andrew, because the Portland Trailblazers have always run into a Golden State or, you know, the Spurs or whoever. I think that this Lakers team matches up really well with them. And to, for me, if the Lakers want to win this series, it's going to be up to Kyle Kuzma. He's got to be that third guy because we all know LeBron's going to do his thing. We all know Anthony Davis is, is going to ball out. Okay, Anthony Davis has been playing great basketball in the bubble so far. But, you know, Kyle Kuzma, he did hit that game winner. But before that, what did we really see from Kyle Kuzma? Not much. He stepped up so far in the bubble. He's played really well so far. But before, it was kind of like, is he going to take that next step? We kind of discussed it on the show. Like, Brandon Ingram took that next step, right? And that was kind of like, who's better, Kuzma or Ingram? So it's like, I think Kuzma's got to really step up if they're going to beat Portland because – um, you know, they're going to need every inch of, uh, they're, they're going to need everything they have to go at Portland. They just match up really well. And, and that Ingram Kuzma debate ultimately did, led to the Anthony Davis trade. You know, which one would the Lakers deal? Would it be Ingram? Would it be Kuzma? The Pelicans decided they wanted, um, Ingram and for good reason. So I, if the Lakers had Ingram today, I, I would choose the Lakers to sweep Portland, but they don't. Kuzma's been great, uh, as we said in, uh, in the open uh, a couple shows ago. Uh, he was kind of the X factor for me. Uh, hit a big game winner last night. 
really stepping up from three-point land. And ultimately, you know, he's impressed me with his defense too. Yeah, but I, I question how long he can sort of sustain that run That's, for. Yep. You know what I mean? Like we've That's seen it case. now. We've seen it in, in these, uh, you know, seeding games. But when it gets down to the real deal in, in the playoffs, can he step up? I don't know. I really don't. It's, it's, been, uh, it's been yet to be seen. And, and how long do these Lakers, you know, role players as a whole sustain it? J.R. Smith had his minutes get cut short. Deion Winters had some good moments against the Clippers. Haven't seen so much since. You know, Alex Caruso, no playoff experience. Kuzma, no playoff experience. KCP, no, you know, by and large, no playoff experience. Very little. Very little. So it's mainly up to LeBron and Anthony Davis, and um, and and honestly, a shocker, Dwight Howard. If he can contain Nurkic, I don't. I've been harping on Nurkic for a while, dude, but uh, he, he's my guy. He, he's my X factor for Portland. So if he can contain Nurkic down low, and LeBron can kind of make ends meet everywhere else, I think the Lakers are going to be good, in good shape. Also, you bring up Dwight Howard. This is a very good. Um segue for Dwight Howard because you know Dwight Howard this is not his first stint with the Lakers he was with the Lakers when Kobe Bryant was still playing Kobe Bryant you know very it's well documented said that Dwight Howard was too soft to play with him and you know blah blah blah. hilarious but that's a different story but can Dwight Howard kind of get that monkey off his back can he be successful in LA can he be successful playing with other stars I mean we see Dwight Howard play with stars all the time he was kind of his uh his own show when he was in Orlando. But then we saw him in Houston with James Harden. That didn't work out. We, we just mentioned him with Kobe. That didn't work out. And now he's with LeBron. So, you know, can, can he, you know, kind of coincide or coexist with LeBron and Anthony Davis and them to, to, you know, go to the promised land? I think it's possible. And I think this in the bubble, it's a good chance for him to prove them, prove the doubt is wrong. Does last night's victory over Denver uh, sort of, uh, diminish your concerns about the Lakers at all heading to the playoffs? No, my, my concerns are still there. I, ultimately, I don't think these seeding games really matter for like higher echelon teams like that. So I'll have to wait and see how they really truly match up with guys um, with other teams out on the floor when the games really start to matter. But yes, um, as soon as you, know, you can start to get like 40, 50 bench points, I'm still going to have concerns about their bench. Yeah, um, I was a little concerned about the game against Denver because Denver didn't start any of their or any of their starters. None of their starters played in the fourth quarter, and right. it just seemed it just seemed like the the Lakers couldn't get a stop. And you know that's going to be a problem, especially in the playoffs, if if they can't stop, you know, the bench from scoring. So it's really going to come down to that. But the bench needs to step up. Everyone needs to step up. Kuzma, Dwight Howard, and you know this is. This is going to be a very interesting playoff for sure. Absolutely. But one team who might already be going home early, uh, the Philadelphia 76ers, uh, a lot of injuries. Ben Simmons already out for the year. There's questions with Joel Embiid. Even Tobias Harris is a bit banged up. Can they uh, survive the first round and get past the Boston Celtics with all those injuries? Uh, We'll give you our thoughts next here on the final call. How do we feel about the Philadelphia 76ers right now, guys? What do we think? Can they can they hang on? Ben Simmons is out. What do we think? Initial thoughts. Ben, you go first. Short answer is no. They're they're can just box it up, wait for next year. They're done. Uh, you know, their best player, Ben Simmons, 
out for the year with he needs surgery. I don't see how they can bounce back from this this year, just with everything going on. Um, yes, they still have Embiid, but can they get past Boston? Can they get past Milwaukee? I don't think so. I really don't think it's close. Um, you know, they still have Tobias Harris. I don't like the Sixers' chances right now. They're just in a very bad situation. You lose your starting point guard. Your, you know, your. For me, Ben Simmons is a generational talent. Um, you know, doesn't really have his jump shot yet, but I mean, he's still such an effective player that his jump shot is kind of a secondary thing to me. It's it's his passing, his rebounding, and his playmaking ability is what stands out to me. And the Sixers are going to miss that. Let's not mistake that. I mean, they are going to miss that for sure. And Embiid's going to do his thing, but I, for me, they're not a threat in the East anymore. And it's, you know, box it up, wait for next year, shut it down. The Sixers are in a state of mind that I would like to soon coin and trademark and things like that. Depleted and soon to be deleted. <laughs> they, <laughs> I please. like it. Can they, we, yeah. TM. <laughs> um, the, yeah, four-game four sweep against Milwaukee, four-game sweep against Toronto, four-game sweep, sweep against Boston. If TJ Warren is still, you know, playing as he is as he was playing in the first month, not month, the first four games of the bubble, four-game sweep against Indiana, four-game sweep against Miami, go on and on and on. This team, if, if they don't have Embiid, I, I was still going to say, not to the, that extent, but it, when Ben Simmons got hurt, I was like, yeah, they have no, chan- no chance. But now, especially with Embiid gone, I, I really don't see a chance of them even you know, scratching a game on a Celtics team that has really been hitting their stride. You know, get, close game against Orlando, um, you know, re- really took it to the heat. I mean, uh, the Raptors. So the Sixers depleted, soon to be deleted. Yeah, I really like that. I think we should, <laughs> we should make a T-shirt. Can we do I, that? I think so, too. Final, I, final I, call T-shirts? <laughs> Merch? Yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you, though. I mean, because they don't match up well. I mean, I mentioned Milwaukee and Boston. Those are probably the top two teams in the East. Probably don't really match up well against them. But, I mean, Toronto, way too well coached. The Heat, like you just said, I think the Heat are definitely worth mentioning. And then the Pacers with... TJ Warren right now has been out of his mind. So any of these teams would beat the Sixers without uh, Simmons in my mind. But I'll, I'll extend this, this kind of branch out to Philly fans. I know you're kind of upset with me right now. If there's a seat, I'm just going to keep saying that if there's a season where odd things can go on and, you know, team chemistry really builds up, which is kind of off brand for a Sixers team this season, if they can really, you know, sum things up and, and, Tobias Harris hits a run like T.J. Uh, Warren did, which I never thought I'd be saying in my life. Maybe, just maybe, they can they can you know remain competitive. I just don't, I, logistically, I just don't see it. Uh, Embiid and Simmons are way too um, you know impactful for that team, and they really make that that uh, team's world go round. Yeah, I well, mean, any, well, anything can happen. I'm pulling out all the cliches today. World, yeah. <laughs> Listen. Anything can happen in this bubble. Like you said, Tobias Harris could snap and just go off, but I just I just don't see a situation where with when they don't have Simmons that they're competitive against these other teams. I just don't like to me if if I mean we we talked about this 
a, a while ago, probably at the beginning of the season, how the Sixers are a one-dimensional team. You remember this? Mm-hmm. What are they? And that was with Simmons. What happens if you take Simmons away? To me, it's just it's it's chess and checkers. I just I don't think that the Sixers have what it takes without Simmons to be in that you know next stratosphere of uh, competitiveness within the East. I mean that shot against uh, that Kawhi took the four bounces and then it dropped. I think that that hurt the Sixers more than we think. I think that's that's as close as the Sixers got. You know what I mean? And they were right. They were as close as you can get. I think they got rattled from that. If I'm going to be honest, everyone has that hangover, but I think I, from what I saw before the pandemic hit, it looked like they were kind of reeling a little bit. It just, it didn't look like they were the same Sixers team that we're used to. And now when arguably your best player goes down for surgery, it's like, you Mm -hmm. know, what's the point? And from an NBA fan's perspective, for me at least, I saw that Toronto shot and I was like, man, that, that really took a toll on Joel Embiid. He's going to come out with a vengeance this yes. year. And that, I think that's part of the reason why I picked them to go to the finals in the preseason. Um, I just saw how much that, how emotionally, how much that rattled him. Um, and it, to see Simmons go down, you could be like, okay, you know, team-wise, that's not ideal. But to Joel, that could be a blessing in disguise. That, could, that team could turn over to him. And I was really looking forward to see how he would respond to that. How, you know, would he dominate? Would he truly be a, not a back-to-the-basket center necessarily, but play his style in a way where the team bounces off him? Does he put up those 35 and 20 games? Does he really show us that he is, in fact, the best center in the NBA? Now he doesn't have that opportunity necessarily. Now it's Tobias Harris, Al Horford, who's been a question mark and a cross-your-fingers kind of player throughout the course of this whole season. They don't necessarily have a proven coaching staff, but I was, in particular for Joel, I was looking forward to that Ben Simmons absence and would he actually be the, the, the type of big man that Shaq always envisioned him to be and always urged him on to be? You know what I mean? So, yeah, I think I was just going to bring up Shaq because you brought up my next point. You know, Shaq, other big men, uh, Charles Barkley, guys who have been in the league, Hall of Famers, they say they want more out of Embiid. What do they mean by this? It's because they know that Embiid could be the next Kim Olajuwon if he just set his mind to it. That's just how talented he is. If he really was like that, and if he was really, you know, if he had that footwork, if he had that that shooting, I mean, I don't think, I don't want him to be shooting threes all the time, but if he, if he was a better shooter, if he was getting his teammates involved, you know, back to the basket, passing to the open guy. Consistency, I mean, too. Consistency. Just if he just, like you said, 35 and 20 games doesn't sound crazy when talking about Joel Embiid when he's hot. It's just, can he stay hot for extended periods of time? And we haven't seen that. And without Simmons, it's going to be even harder to do. And, and the caveat for him is injuries. If, if, exactly. So like at the beginning of his career, um, he sat out a year or so, and then he just wouldn't play back-to-backs. And he hasn't really shaken off that injury bug since. Um, so that's why personally I was looking forward to what playoff run he had in store, but now that's obviously been cut short. I don't, what's the, do you know the severity off the top of your head? I don't know how long is it just still up in the air? Uh, Simmons injury. No, 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 Joel. He's, they're saying it's only a mild ankle sprain, but no, they're not too concerned about it. He might play tonight, 
they kind of want Brett Brown did say they want to get him some minutes before the playoffs begin, but I'm not sure if he's going to play like the full 30 like he usually does. But, you know, I think you guys are so right about Joel Embiid. And, you know, this is if the Lakers, not the Lakers, the Sixers, if they want to have any sort of success, any sort of success in the playoffs this year, it relies on Joel Embiid. Because I think if there's out of every player in the NBA right now, Joel Embiid has the highest ceiling, maybe besides Luka Doncic again. But with his, his combination of size and athletic ability, there shouldn't be a more dominant player in the league than Joel Embiid. And I really thought that, you know, the Sixers needed him to step up this year. And he kind of didn't. It's been kind of a, a lost season for the Sixers. At the beginning of the year, I said the Sixers need to win a championship. That's not going to happen this year. And they're going to need – they would have needed Joel to do it. Uh, needed Joel at his best to make it there. He's never really had the mindset, though. Yeah, he could be Hakeem Olajuwon. He could be Shaq. But he's never really had the mindset. I know he's had injuries, but even still, like he's caught, he, he, when his team's down, he doesn't really fight. Uh, as good as Ben Simmons is, I think Embiid has the talent to sort of carry the Sixers, even without Simmons. It's just, you know, does he want to? And I don't know if he does. Yeah, that's an interesting point. And, you know, his mentality has definitely been called into question more often than not. And it's, I think it just all comes down to the consistency thing. And, you know, does he need to be Hakeem Olajuwon? No, but he needs to be, he just needs to be that guy. If, if he can't be that guy on that Sixers team, they go nowhere. Even with, with or without Simmons, because Simmons alone isn't going to get it done. They need a, a second guy in there. And like you said, Andrew, the athleticism, the skill set, the size. He's got it all. And there's no reason why he shouldn't be the leader of this team right now. And, and from a big picture perspective, Embiid's probably kicking himself because this was probably his opportunity to show the Sixers front office and Elton Brand, their GM, hey, if there's a decision between me and Simmons and you have to keep one of us and you, know, you think our styles don't, can't coexist together, and teams like the Cavs are reported the other day, you know, building a lucrative package for the Sixers to you know, potentially move Simmons to the Cavs. I'm going to be this franchise guy. I can debunk this theory that all great big men need a guard to win. I, I can do this. This was his opportunity. Excellent based point. Off this, based off the severity of the injury, um, I, I don't know how they'll, you know, put him in bu- bubble wrap, short, um, sort of speak. Will they put him on an extended uh, minutes respect, restriction based off how brutal he's been in the past? I don't know. But if, if he stayed healthy, this was his opportunity to show the Sixers I am your man. I live for this city. I'm going to be the guy that, you know, eventually gives us a trophy, hopefully. Yeah, that's kind of like a like a Shaq and Kobe scenario. It's like, well, you have to pick one or the other, you know, and I feel like history kind of shows us they go with the guard rather than the center. Mm-hmm. And this would be a good point. This would be a good time for Embiid to kind of say, hey, listen, I'm your guy, and I'm here for the long run. That's an excellent point. Who would you guys hold on to here? If, if you're Elton Brand, given off what you know now, and both guys have, uh, have had injury history, both Simmons and, and Embiid, who would you hold on to? What would, who, and who would you trade away here? And does that sort of classic center versus guard uh, argument factor into this? Yeah, I, I'd personally go with Simmons just because I think you know, that's the way the NBA is going. I think you need a guy – I'm not going to compare him to LeBron because he's not – but stylistically, that big guard, 6'10", can handle, can pass, mm-hmm. especially the shooters. Like, especially if 
I've seen it in the past. I've got like the Sixers had JJ Redick, Ursan Eliasova, Marco Bellinelli. I've seen that kind of success with him with shooters surrounding him. Question is, can I do that as a GM? Can I surround him with their good cast? I, I, I would still lean towards Simmons because he can ultimately do more things. To, like play an up tempo style. I, I, I'm going to lean with Simmons on this one. I'm going to agree with you, Jason. I would also go with Simmons. It's, um, not a, it's not an easy one for me. I think it's very close, but if push came to shove, I would take Simmons just because I think you can find a lot of Joel Embiid's. You can't find a lot of Ben Simmons. And it's, it's that 6'10 guard can handle, you know, has, you say, you say he's not LeBron, but his style is similar. You know, he has that court vision. Um, he can defend when he wants to. Uh, you know, everyone's worried about his shooting. I don't think his shooting is that big of a deal. Like you said, if they surround him with shooters, he's quick enough and has the court vision to find the open mi- the open man. And you know, I would just I would take Simmons over Embiid pretty much every time. So I like that you are both bringing up LeBron, but he's not LeBron. No, he's always been compared to. No, he's not because he's Giannis. What you guys, Ooh. everything you guys were just describing to me. Long, can defend, need shooters around him. That's kind of what Giannis is with the Bucks. Is he not? No, he, I don't he, think he is. Is, I Gian, don't know. He's, Giannis is much different. I feel. Ben's, got yeah. the ball, Ben's got a better ball handle and better passing. Yeah, yeah. okay. Is, everything you were saying, like it's like, huh, need shooters. Okay. Giannis is a much better defender as well. He has the length. Okay, kind of like all right. So you debunked me, but I, I like everything you were saying. Like it sounded like you were describing Giannis more than LeBron. I now what I who would I hold on to? I don't know. I, I I might I might go with Embiid here. I really might because you know what's the rest of the NBA going towards? Shooters, guards, right? Mm-hmm. So why not have the one guy that no one else can defend, right? Is, and that's Joel Embiid. What they're really outside of Rudy Gobert and Anthony Davis, who are both in the Western Conference, who in the East can defend him? Giannis. Really? Can Giannis really go down in the post consistently and defend Embiid? Yeah. Yes. On a night he can't. Okay. I'm. I'm. I I'm think asking. so. I really. I. I would bet all my money on that. Jason. I don't think Milwaukee would play it like that because they don't want Giannis to pick up any fouls, especially with how physical Embiid is. But, you know, with with, with no rules, empty black t- uh, blacktop, I think Giannis could hold his own. All right, so, then we'll, uh, so there we go. Like, if Milwaukee would probably opt to ho- put Brooke, Brooke Lopez on Embiid. And, again, you Yeah, Milwaukee's just Kelly. too long. I don't know. I might go with Embiid because I might want to pick the one guy that you can sort of have down low and dominant. Plus, Embiid can kind of shoot. He's already great defensively. I might hold Embiid here because he's kind of the anomaly here. So is Simmons, uh, though. Yeah, mm. six, six ten point guards don't grow on trees. Mm-hmm. You like like what I said. You can find you could find another Joel Embiid. I don't know if you could find. Like, it's much harder to find another Ben Simmons. It's much easier to find a seven foot center who can who has footwork and can shoot than find a six ten guard with you know, ball handling skills and passing ability. You know what I mean? I don't know. If, we, if you guys are comparing him to Keem Olajuwon. No, that's if, he's, that's if he's consistent and actually wants to be. 
That, right. that's, his, that's his absolute ceiling. Yeah, right? that's his ceiling. And, and Simmons' absolute ceiling is LeBron James, right? You could say that. Yeah. So it, it, it's apples and oranges here. Both incredibly talented players, players that you know are top five in the history of the league. Well, not top five, but top five at the respective positions. Top you ten. Can, you can you can rate centers differently than than guards and forwards, but I don't know. It's kind of a toss up. I don't think it's it's square away Ben Simmons. I might lean towards a Joel Embiid here because if the rest of the league is moving towards guards and three point shooting, why not have the one player that no one else can defend? Because you can the, like because if everyone else is moving that way, right? You can find those types of players. You can find the guards, the wings, and the guards to defend shooters out in the wing. Let him be to attack down low, move him out if he has to go up against a smaller stretch four, and you're, and yeah. you're golden there, I think. To your point, Andrew, I think you could surround Embiid and Simmons with the same kind of pieces, and they would still be successful. If you just surround them with shooters, either one of them, I think they'd be successful just because, you know, for different reasons. I mean, you know, Ben Simmons is kind of the full court, like drive up the ball kick it out and bead would be kind of a half court guy back to the basket pass out to the open man but either way you uh you both you need shooters for either one i agree 100 percent. i i think it would take players of it would have a bigger effect on players they'd have to learn to play with Embiid more than play with simmons i think with simmons you could just be like oh we're running up and down the court he's going to create steals he's going to create havoc he's 610 he can grab the rebound himself push it if i'm jj reddick for example i'm just going to you know push out to the wing and he can give it to me mm-hmm. from Embiid's perspective. Yeah. He'll grab the rebound, but he needs a guard. Like, I don't know. I just, I like the style with Simmons personally. I think it fits better with where, where the NBA is going. Um, but the, the Warriors and um, other teams debunk the theory that you need a big man to win. Yes. That's not the case anymore. You, you can go in with not a Zaza Pachulia per se, but a guy kind of like that, not a notable name and still come out with W's. Right, that was proven. Warriors certainly did show that that's possible. But I think it's ebbs and flows. You know, we're seeing the, the rise of small ball and the in, in really a, a surplus of these really talented wing shooters and guards who can dominate the league. But then I think we're, we'll, at some point you'll start to push back and see to counter that. And Embiid might be the one, might be the start and the one guy to sort of counter. So that's about all the time we have here on the final call this week. Make sure you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Final Call MCC. If you're looking to do a little bit of reading, go check out Jason's blog of New England Sports United, and make sure you go check out the uh, the Scoreboard Times. Uh, both those websites, uh, great uh, content and uh, some reading material if you're interested. Uh, you can find this podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts on Apple, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. With all that being said, for Ben Memories, for Jason Snow. I'm Andrew Fantuccio. This has been the final call on Radio Massasoit. There must be some kind of way out of here. Say the joker to the thief. There's too much confusion